Welcome to Generally Cultured. I'm Josh. And I'm Robert. And we've got a fun and exciting episode for you guys today. We are going to talk about the Fire Festival documentaries that were released on Hulu and Netflix earlier this year. Um, dive kind of into the festival and what happened. And then also kind of talk about the social structures behind those festivals and kind of what caused those and, and taking a dive into millennial culture. So let's just kind of get into it. So Netflix and Hulu earlier this year released two documentaries um, about the same event, the, the infamous Fire Festival uh, that happened in 2017, I believe is when it was supposed to happen. Yes. Yeah, I think that's that's about the date. Yep. Um, Netflix released Fire, the greatest party that ever happened, and Hulu uh, released Fire Fraud. Both are ethically compromised in a way. We can kind of get into that. <laughs> but uh, right off the bat, Josh, which one did you prefer? All right, I have to admit, so I, I, I uh, watched the Netflix one first. Okay. So we'll give it the benefit of the doubt. You know, the first time you hear a story, you're like, you're kind of privy to that story first. And then I watched the Hulu one. The Hulu one, I th- it, they have their pros and cons. The Hulu one has more exclusives, interviews, and kind of like uh, some of the uh, feedback that we got or that the articles had about it. Um, they talked about two were, remember this name, Billy McFarlane. Right. He is very important, and he they the Hulu one has has obviously has him, and it's so interesting to see him kind of squirm, right? And but the Netflix one I think was more, it talked more about the details and kind of the victims. Uh, there's a lot of them, um, not just the ticket or the the festival goers, but uh, I I think I like the Netflix one just a little bit more because of that detailed. Right. Some aspect of it. But I did like the Hulu one and seeing Billy McFarlane squirm in his seat. <laughs> yeah. I think the Netflix one was much more narrative. It told the story better. Uh, you got a better idea of the timeline and what was going on. It also did give the real victims of the Fire Festival much more of a platform to explain, you know, what happened. And I think it did have an interesting, although it didn't really comment on it too much, it did have an interesting thing to say about look, when this market is so driven by social media and kind of the internet and stuff, we forget about the real in-person victims that try to make, you know, we're trying to make this festival happen. Um, and it's pretty it's pretty devastating to listen to um, the people who worked, like physically labored uh, to try to get this festival off the ground and just how much they lost in the process. So that yeah. was that was pretty devastating. Especially um, the is Bohemia... Uh, no, Bahama. But, How do you call somebody from Bahama? What do you call them? Like Bahamians? Bahamians? I guess I don't know. Yeah, just those day workers. They, I think to this day they never got a dime. I believe they're owed upwards of two hundred fifty thousand dollars total. And then the woman who owned the restaurant right. that they kind of raided at the very beginning of the, like the first day, she said she lost her savings, which I think was her entire savings, which was somewhere close to fifty or sixty thousand dollars. So yeah, um, that was pretty devastating. The Hulu documentary um, it did benefit by having the exclusive interview with Billy I thought that the it was a little more confusing to try to if you wanted to just know the facts of the fire festival it was a little too confusing for that mm-hmm. um, but it did dive more into the social infrastructure and underpinnings behind all this kind of stuff and yeah. talked more about social media marketing and the enablers yeah yeah yep. it so I I appreciate that however when I looked back on it, like both of these documentaries are both like supremely ethically compromised. <laughs> so the Netflix documentary 
is co-produced, or at least it is a large part of it is produced by the Jerry Media people, who were the contractors who created the entire media car, uh, campaign for the Fire Festival in the first place. Right. So when I was watching it, um, and I, a lot of people noticed this too, I think. It was like, how did they get all this exclusive behind-the-scenes content? And then at the end, you're like, oh, it's because these people helped do this. <laughs> so, they have all the B-film. So you so have, to, you have to ask, and I think uh, one of the articles that we read before this podcast, one of the articles asked, did the Jerry Media people think, like, when they knew this wasn't going to happen, like, when they knew the Fire Festival was going to go down in flames, did they all get together and think, well, at least we'll be able to, like, sell this into a documentary. And <laughs> They probably did. Which is just so, when it's when you think about that, it's just so gross. Um, the Hulu one also, the just the very fact that they paid Billy yeah. to be in it. What was it, like 250000 Well, so these, these documentaries, and you can kind of see it at the end of the Hulu one, they take some jabs at each other. Right. Um, so the Hulu documentary ends with the guy, I guess, who was in charge of the Fire Festival contract for Jerry Media, talking about why he left that company and kind of throwing shade at Jerry Media. Right. Well, then when that happened, Netflix went back and said, well, Hulu paid Billy to be on their sh in their documentary and told us it was like close to $250,000. Well, the Hulu people were like, well, we paid him. We didn't pay him that much, thus revealing that Billy had taken the money from Hulu and tried to like upbid with Netflix, Netflix yeah. which is just so is disgusting. A, I mean, it plays into his character because he's such a hustler. <laughs> right. It was just so it was so disgusting to just watch him. Um, I think that the interviews with Billy and watching him squirm and them so blatantly catching him in lies, yeah, and him just not, you know, wanting to admit it. Yeah. And then they you know they have those shots where they just like keep the camera on him and he just kind of sits there and looks around and it made it was so uncomfortable but sort of satisfying. Right. So I don't know if I'll watch the Hulu one as much like over time as I'll watch the Netflix one cuz the Netflix one is just full of kind of just crazy story after crazy story. Whether it's the the yoga guy telling his like side of the story or the event plan the poor event planner who was sent to the bahama official to get the water oh and has to do obscene things it was just crazy so um yeah i i think i prefer the netflix one uh, but i think the hulu one had more interesting things to say yeah i think that's a fair assessment i i was happily surprised well i think okay this is the best way to say it the netflix one has it keeps you on the edge of your seat a lot more because it's more of that narrative story, the thing that something that we're expecting, uh, and I don't know, I don't know if I was biased to it just because I watched the Netflix one first, but I did like. I mean, I'm sorry, but the the images of or the the scenes of of uh, Billy just sitting there looking around after they totally just catch him in a lie, right? In uh, multiple lies, that's that's best. And I know it's a little bit. It's probably it's out of context a little bit because the the medium of of a documentary when you have a camera on you like even when you're talking to somebody face to face like you look around i mean that's right that's not bad you know it's, it's not like you're it's not like you're trying to you're telegraphing some kind of you know dishonesty about your about yourself but in in a movie everybody it's just it's so it looks so bad and of course everybody knows that he's lying in the first place he's just the only one in the room that won't admit it right and yeah when you after watching both these documentaries 
who is your winner and who is your loser if that mm. makes sense what would you define as a winner like winner as in who who got away with the less the, the least amount like of just blame? who who walks away from the documentaries and you're like he's all right or she's all right oh i see okay. and then who comes away you yeah know, who comes across as the yeah. worst okay i'm really conflicted about this but i think this is where i've settled the influencers themselves uh the supermodels that went down and shot that that commercial for for this fire festival um, a lot of blame has been thrown their way just because they're big names, right? And and working in a newsroom in the past, I know that that's how you get clicks. So I understand that's why they're the easy targets. But I honestly think that they're they're blameless. That's their job, right? Their job is to help promote whatever, whatever it might be. It might be a cell phone. It might be a music festival. It might be any kind of excursion. And yeah, and at that time, they have no idea if this thing is actually going to happen or yeah. not. Like, probably to a lot of them. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, they're smart people. I'm sure that they, some of them in the back of their mind were like, this is never going to happen. Yeah. But, like, they don't know that, right? It's not like the Billy comes to them and says, look, we're going to scam all these people. Right. You know, that that would be one story, but I, I don't think that's what happened here. And even if, um, even, like, sometimes, they, I can't remember which documentary talks about this, but they talk about how, you know, okay, you know, you should be... Uh, if you're an influencer and you're putting your name to something <clears throat> or your name behind something, you should at least make sure that it's legitimate. Well, I, like even if they're advertising the fact that you are going to be there, every influence, even the bands know that that's not a for sure thing until the day that it happens, right? Like even the bands themselves are like, okay, wow, we're being advertised as going to this music festival. Have we seen the money? No. Have we? Right. Th- is there a contract? No. Even I, I think it was up to like a couple weeks in advance. Like everybody was like, "Okay, what's going on?" Right? Yeah. And and then finally they pull out. Um, but yeah, the influencers themselves. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that they're been thinking about this for a while. But I think they're the winners, or at, at least they get the least amount of blame. Um, <laughs> if that's they're how the we're best call, losers. Yeah, they're the best <laughs> losers. Yeah, that's the best way to say it. The Netflix documentary goes does a really good job in only focusing the blame on Billy and everybody else around him. They're like, they they talk, they do a really good job. And I, and I will give them credit um, talking about all the, the different pressures that um, whether it was the Jerry Media Company or, or even the people on the ground in the fire Festival that were trying to help Billy put this thing together. You know, they, it would talk about different pressures and, and different meetings that they would bring up. They would, uh, they talk about, hey, Billy, this isn't going to happen, right? This isn't going to work. And then and then how I, you know, Billy's like, we're at, there's a favorite line in it. It says one of the, I think it was the yoga guy. He comes up, he goes to Billy and he says, this isn't going to happen. It's like a couple weeks out. Like, this is not going to happen. And Billy says, we're not a problem focused uh, group. We're a solution focused group. And, and if you want to be part of this, find a solution. And that's a classic coming from, so I worked in, in door-to-door sales uh, down in Virginia for a summer. And that is a classic salesman mentality right and they're constantly optimistic for the longest time when i was sitting there looking at that i was like you know i kind of get that i i get that because it especially when when billy's coming back you know with millions of dollars he goes flies to new york who is he seeing well i can't remember her name but you know it's this enabler billionaire that investor and he comes back with millions of dollars you know and he's doing it all over again i have to admit that if i was down there in the bahamas I was helping them put together this fire festival, uh, this music festival, and even if I saw just the utter how how utterly how hopeless big of a, this whole thing. yeah how, how utterly hopeless this thing is, 
if he's coming back with millions of dollars like every two weeks, it would be pretty hard to step away. At the same time, I think the people that worked with him, I think they still have, they still have that blame in the sense that, especially when it's coming up to like the couple the days or the weeks before a fire festival, you've got to, you know, bring out the the blowhorn and just tell people, hey, listen, this is going to be horrendous. Right. And I'm just glad that nobody died. Yeah. Because it very well could have happened. Yeah. Some of that footage, it it looks like. A horrible disaster has happened, and they're like running for their lives, and it's it's just not good. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Another question I had was who's the hero and who's the villain, and I, I think the hero. I mean, I think the villain is is pretty obviously it's Billy, right? Um, and he's the biggest villain. I think he's the biggest villain. I think the hero of the whole story of both documentaries though is that one financier. Like young guy who ex- like found all the stuff on the internet and exposed them and created the Twitter yeah, yeah, account yeah. that was like this is a fraud. Yeah, it's like fire, um, fire like fire fraud or something like that. Um, but then fi- it was said that he only had like like two followers. Right. While it was going on. Well, he's the one that found the map and he he was like, yeah, this isn't did. a private island. It's part of here's the sandals. Uh, it's pretty much resort. an industrial park. Right. <laughs> and. What was crazy, what I think was really bad, and I, I think that if you're not going to give the the villains to, to Billy, I think you do give it to kind of his enablers in that, you know, people were asking questions like, where's my flight info? Yeah. Where do I go? How do I, you know, get this? You know, and then they send out that email that says, this is going to be a cashless festival. You need to put money on your wristband, which was basically just a money grab. It, they knew that that was not going to happen. Right. And then the media company going through and deleting all negative comments about the festival on social media. That is just. Yeah, they need to be held accountable. For that's that. really awful. Um, and that that is straight up fraud in a sense that you are just blatantly ignoring huge warning flags from your customer base. I just think that that's that was really bad. But you know, let's talk about that for a second cuz let's say you're in uh, hypothetical you're in that kind of situation where where your superior, your the authority figure is telling you, "Hey, it's going to happen, it's going to happen." And everything you can see is, "No, this is this is terrible. Like we're straight out lying to people." Right? Or I I think the media company knew like at that point especially something's up because there's no more no more um advertising content. They're using the same commercial that they shot to advertise the whole thing for, I think it was a good six months in advance, right? Right. Because they only planned it for six months. <laughs> of course. So, like, that's, I'll have to admit that you're in a a, a a moral conundrum, but, you know, that's life. I mean, there's nothing you can get away from that. You're going to be put in hard spots. You know that that kind of stuff is going to happen. You better have the backbone to be able to stand up and say, no, we're, we're not going to lie to these people. You're either going to tell us the truth, you know, tell us the answers that we need to give to them about, you know, their flight, flight information or, or the details of the festival or we're done. Like we need to, we need to walk away from this, even if it's only like a week out, because I don't know, it, it really comes down to that. Like, please people be honest, be honest with your fellow men. Like that is so important, whether it's personally or in a business relationship, it's going to save you in the end. Yeah, I don't know. That might be a pretty high bar for a company that got famous for creating oh, viral memes. <laughs> so I don't know. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree. So I think that another thing that happened with this with these documentaries about the festival and, and in 
the live kind of updates we were hearing about the festival when it was happening was I think it it, it was another examination of millennial culture and all generations got in on it making fun and uh, at the expense of of millennials and and gen zers i guess who were at this festival um and so i think it would be interesting and hulu kind of dives into it so i think it would be interesting to kind of look at what are the aspects of millennial culture that allowed something like this to happen um and i i think the consensus is it's this new era of social media marketing and tapping into uniquely and kind of distinctly millennial phenomena which we call FOMO right. or fear of missing out. Did you did you get that vibe throughout the documentary? Yeah, especially the Hulu documentary. They did a good job in talking about that. that Do you get influence. FOMO, Josh? Oh, absolutely. Any and, and anybody that says they don't is lying to you. Right. That's just it's a I think it's it's part of human nature, it's part of the human experience. Now, depending on how much it influences you, and how much you recognize, especially on social media, that this is the Fire Festival is a great example of how how there, people live. People want you to think that they live their Instagram lives, but they don't. Right? Watching these documentaries just is, I think, is such an I don't know how it's like a, it's a such a great vignette of how everybody thinks that's going to be like this. You know, it's going to be this amazing experience, and really, you're going to live in FEMA rescue tents right that's exactly what instagram is yeah it it i've always said this about uh all social media really when people because you know people make those arguments about instagram they say that you know twitter is extremely toxic and you know it's horrible and blah blah blah. and and the kind of the the stereotype about facebook is that you're just always in facebook arguments with people and i've always looked at those things and said yeah like that happens but that's not real life and I think Instagram is the perfect epitome of this, right? Because it's it's literally full of people putting their best face on yeah. things, and in some in some cases, straight up manipulating their surroundings to make it look like you know they're living this incredible life. At the end of uh, I think it was the Hulu documentary, it might have been the Netflix one, I can't remember, but they talk they talk about that company in Russia that basically yeah. created this fake private jet. You can come and take pictures on yeah. to like post on your social media, so you can trick your friends into thinking that and you're on a private actually jet. Actually, works like they actually get people to come and. That's just and nuts. Post. That's just. I would feel so embarrassed, <laughs> but I don't know why people. I mean, people do it, and and that's that's the facts. That's the right. reality that we live in. Yeah. So I the the way that the fire festival tapped into this was they got all those influencers, so models that had huge followings on Instagram, um, and had them post that orange tile. And I think that once a small thing that no one really mentioned, which I was just like, that's just so classic millennial, which was they're talking about why they came up with that idea for their. Yeah, uh, Hulu was talking about it. For their yeah. campaign. And the argument was that millennials are scrolling through stuff so fast <laughs> that you have like less than a second to capture their attention. And the best way to do that was by literally posting a solid orange square. <laughs> And I just heard that and laughed because I was like, that's so funny. That means that even when we're on Instagram and people are taking these lavish photos of wherever they're at, on average, people are spending less than a second even looking at them. That's just a huge investment on the picture takers part for the reward that 
the <laughs> viewer gets. It's just it's just nuts. But apparently they were able to do it. And and I think what it did was it created this idea that this event was going to be the event of our generation you know it really did play into the kind of this is our woodstock like an it's like an overcharged coachella yes exactly and so burning they really tapped into this 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 feeling of fomo uh for millennials and millennials and young people just quickly bought into it um it was what was weird to me is that people bought into it because i think they thought this will be the event that i get to be at and then I'll get to post about it all on my social media and make all my friends jealous. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and tell tell about it for generations. Which was interesting to me because if you read any sort of millennial defense, so we're all used to boomers and yeah. older generations just ripping on millennials. It's never it's never going to stop. <laughs> it just it always happens. And that that's just what's been going on for all of history of mankind. But one thing that is constantly slammed up millennials is that we're narcissistic we are entitled we have fomo you know all this kind of stuff we're addicted to our phones these kind of things and when i now i'm starting to read more thoughtful millennial defenses of our generation and one that always kind of pops up is that well at least we're not materialists you know we don't collect physical things like our like older generations do we look for experiences but when i look at the fire festival I just think, well, that's just a different form of materialism, yeah. right? Like you're just collecting photos and experiences to show off to your friends and network, not, you know, experiencing that to like teach you something about the world or life or grow you as a person in, in any way. And so when I look at those kind of things, I think that's just a, that's just a, our version of materialism yeah because if these kind of influences were happening in the 50s you better bet your bottom dollar that they would the, that generation would be just as sucked into their phones and to instagram and like yes they you know they might not have appeared as as narcissistic or you know envious of each other's life excursions as I actually I you know what I disagree I actually think that they are but they just didn't have that opportunity to express that as easily and as quick and as fast as we do now because that's social media is is all about you know if you don't have an online I think Hulu, Hulu, Hulu the Hulu documentary does a really good job of explaining this but if you don't have a there's this idea kind of in the back of everybody's mind that if you don't have this online presence with a significant amount of followers whether it's your friends neighbors and co-workers then and you you're not you know putting on your social media accounts you know what you did that weekend then your weekend didn't exist right right and and there is that there's that pressure I mean there's that uh, or at least there's that that idea out there and and I think it's more of an idea I think it's I think it's a huge motivator right I think you're exactly right if the kids at Woodstock had phones we would have our entire phones would have been blown up with Woodstock photos you know. Like, I just don't I don't think that that is a uniquely millennials for some unique reason are more susceptible to that. Um, it's just the fact that we were born in an era with this technology. It enables um, our, our what, worst, worst characteristics. Right. And what's bad about it is that social media, like any other drug, becomes more powerful the more you use it. And so you rely, you start to rely on that 
hit of dopamine when people like your stuff or comment on things and and that just snowballs into you know what you know what we see in fire festival right um again that's not necessarily a uniquely millennial problem the idea of being addicted to something now should we take steps to mitigate those things of course of course and i'm should we take lessons from older generations i agree but i think it is it's a lazy argument to say well, millennials are just addicted to their phones, and if they just got all got off social media, like they wouldn't have any more problems. It's like that's not really what's what's going yeah. on. So it, it's still the same root problem: materialism or wanting to show off your things to your your friends. Right. Um, it just happens to manifest itself in a different form for our generation. And it's just like a it's it's almost just a naked envy, right? That's the saddest part about it right. all. Is uh, I mean, okay, we're. Uh, we're both from Hillsdale, and we we've read these classics where it human nature is the same. Whether you go back to the Iliad and the Odyssey, and and with with Homer, or or you're looking, you're scrolling through Instagram today. Envy start, envy and jealousy, and and all that started wars back then, and it starts conflicts today for sure. Uh, I, I did another deep dive kind of because I was just very interested in learning more about kind of the data behind millennials and like does it support some of of this stuff and it's interesting so i think that i saw a lot of people complaining or at least in uh, one of the articles that i i read and i'll I'll post it in the the show notes um i think it was with gq the the author really goes after social media marketing as this sort of um nefarious thing that is bad and it it's the sole reason why this this whole thing festival happen and on the surface i think that that's a pretty easy answer and i think people are willing to buy into that but i think that the problem with that is that it doesn't account for the good aspects of what millennials are doing with technology so one thing that that millennials do is that we tend to not be not be downright hostile against institutions. That's more of a Gen Z thing. But we tend to be skeptical of institutions or middlemen and think, well, we could just do that on our own. It's not a it's not a despise for them, but it is a it is sort of a second guessing of these kind of places. And I think traditional marketing is starting to see that, right? So millennials look at watch a commercial on television if they're even watching television, right? And that doesn't play for them as well. Like watching some kind of funny commercial doesn't work as well for millennials as, say, going on my social media and seeing, you know, this athlete that I love so much on the court that I actually follow his personal life on his Instagram account. Watching him use that product is much more of a selling point to me. And, you know, they're able to do that you know, that company is able to do that directly, not going through the traditional marketing uh, companies or the PR firms, but able to just go straight to that influencer and say, hey, just use our product in your Instagram video and that'll sell enough for us. I actually think that that's a, a positive development, right? I think that, or at least it's, it's, not, a, it's not an immoral uh, development. So I guess I get frustrated when I, when I hear people say, well, social media marketing is just evil and we should just go back to 
you know, the way we were doing before. I don't, I don't think that that's right. At the same time, I look at this kind of this breaking down of institutions and then really radical individualism, which was another element of this. Uh, and I think some of the problems, the s- social problems that especially middle America is suffering, things that like people like J.D. Vance or Tim Carney have highlighted in their books about the social isolation of Americans. And I wonder, is this going to get worse before it gets better? Yeah, I I would argue that it's definitely going to get worse because right now there's no real solutions. There's no, I mean, you have these instant connections, or at least in the sense that we feel like we're instantly connected with our friends from around the world. But yeah, at the same time, you're right. What What do most people do, you know, on the weekend? They just sit home and chill. Right. And they they don't even know that they can live in in the same house for years and never know who their neighbors are. And that's exactly what like J.D. Vance and some of these others have been talking about. They it's the breakdown of of community. And and I'll agree. I I think uh, the technology in general can do wonderful things right now. We all know it. It's it's kind of it's it's planting seeds of. Like, like community community destruction that right is going to happen right it's going to get worse and right now we don't have a solution for that I don't think it's true that millennials all they want to do is be left alone and you know be their kind of radical you know be a radical individual I I don't think that that's true I think all people crave some sort of community yeah, right and that's right. why we have social media right um, it's why some of the the greatest developments in technology have been FaceTime, where you can literally yeah. get on your phone and physically speak to somebody, you know, face to face, who is million millions of miles away, right? Um, that's a that's a good thing. That's doing a good job of of bridging that gap of distance and fostering, you know, better relationships. But what it also has done is it has lowered the bar of community standards to liking a photo. Or commenting on somebody's Facebook post, not, you know, going to help somebody move, or coaching a little league team, or volunteering at your church. Like social media and technology has lowered the bar of what we deem is appropriate community involvement. And this is why uh, one of the most interesting articles I read the other day uh, came from the Washington Post by Megan McArdle. If you've if you've heard of her, and she was kind of responding to the. Democrats are calling for a lot of democratic socialism. And she was kind of saying, okay, let's let's take that argument on its merit. Let's say we set up this utopian democratic socialist state. Where's the proof that this generation of people, of citizens, even want to be that engaged in democracy? I mean, <laughs> they could they could really want to go out and serve on their local PTA or run the food bank or do all these things. They could. But Statistically speaking, what they really want to do is just go home and sit on their screen. Right. That's what the data says. And so and I think that's why what is it Thomas Sowell came out uh just I think it was like a week or two ago and he was very well, I shouldn't say pessimistic, but he wasn't optimistic that our country will will forever avoid the siren call of socialism. I think because of some of those forces, right? We don't we aren't involved in the community as much. We don't take as much. And it's not just millennials. It's just this, it's everybody in general, right? Because I see, you know, the older generation on Facebook, just especially Facebook, as much as anybody else is. And it's it's that, I don't, I don't know how, how to explain that except for that 
except for maybe our needs are our our surface needs, our superficial needs of community are being fulfilled by social media. So why ask you, you know, what you did this weekend when I already know that you went hiking? And so I never talked to you at church or I never talked to you in the hallway uh, because, oh, well, I already know. I already know what Bert did, so why do I have to talk to them? Right. It, it explains, too, you know, this this idea that we are kind of socially isolated. I mean, it explains a lot of what's going on in these places where you hear about the social isolation, where you hear about these degrading communities. Um, it also explains to me, I think that there's a misconception that millennials are super political and are just all about politics all the time. I actually think that that's more of a Gen Z phenomena than it is a millennial phenomena. Um, because according to the, the statistics, we vote a little bit higher you know as a as a generation our rate of voting is a little bit higher than other generations before us but not that much higher at the same age level yeah at the same yeah. age level like we're not it's not like there's a huge spike in the number of our generation going out to vote like we just we just don't um right. it's just not the same thing i think that social media woke capitalism kind of again hits that superficial need of well, I'm engaging in politics. You know, Nike came out with a Colin Kaepernick campaign. I support Colin Kaepernick, so I bought a pair of Nikes. Therefore, I made my political statement, <laughs> which is so surface level. Again, we've we've lowered the bars. You know, social media, uh, these kind of companies that are engaging in these kind of things have lowered the bar of what these things used to mean. And I think that our generation, when it all is said and done, we're going to kind of be i think the the label superficial is going to be apt for our generation yeah unfortunately yeah unless we can turn it around there's still hope right i guess my last question i have one last question and this kind of is going to get a little bit on the deeper side after watching the documentaries right and then as the festival was happening i mean i was on twitter that day and i was watching you know people post the the infamous picture of the the cheese sandwich in the styrofoam uh, container why was there so much pure glee at watching these young people suffer? Hmm. <clears throat> I think what it's... is it about intergenerational conflict or tribalism, if you want to call it that? What makes us so happy? Like watching horrible things happen to other people. To see the festival burn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like why? <laughs> I, you know, I thought about that too. I Part of me wonders if it's, like we talked about FOMO and it affects everybody, right? And obviously the people that were just, you know, trolling this, the fire Festival. And for, I mean, to be honest, they, it, it was, it's such a spectacular crash in the end that everybody likes to see the train crash, right? Everybody likes to see it. And so, and you, you can't turn your eyes away from it. But then to... To pile on top of that and just joke and jeer about and, and, and really just celebrate the fact that these millennials uh, were scammed into the or not even just scammed into it but just fell into the trap I wonder if they were just happy that uh, hey listen you are hey look you you were you know you were afraid of being uh, of missing out on this you know this party of the generation and it burned and inside they think, oh my gosh, I wanted to go to that too. I couldn't get tickets because they sold, you know, within like seconds. 
or I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford. Yeah, because they spent. I mean, let's let's make this clear. Mo- some people spent like tens of thousands of dollars on this thing, or even more. I think it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on which villa you were gonna get. But I wonder if those if, if it if it just kind of snowballed into constantly uh, just making fun of it because they were happy that they weren't going to miss out, right? Like they at, I bet everybody was scared. They were all thinking, "Ah, oh, dang it! I wanted to be a part of." That yeah, I wanted to get a ticket. I wanted to go to the Bahamas and and potentially see I don't know whoever. All, the, I'm I'm be honest, Blink One Eighty Two is not my favorite band. <laughs> I don't know whose favorite band it is, but for some reason that that was a draw. Yeah, I don't uh, get it. But they were, I think they were afraid. They're like, oh, I was gonna miss out. Oh, actually, it was a total disaster. Wow, look what you did. You know, I think it was one of those. Yeah, I think it also just confirmed everyone's priors, right? Like. <laughs> If you're older, you probably have some sort of vision of a millennial as somebody who's all talk, no game, who is, there's not a lot of substance, you know, thinks the internet is real life, and then they show up to the kind of the uh, event promoted on the internet to be the event of the century, and they show up and it's just all fake, and none of of it's real. I think that the fact of something confirming all your priors, a story like that, and it actually being true— just is too, for lack of a better term, delicious right. for people to not just eat it up. Um, that is very true. We seem to celebrate and promote the like the stereotypes that we that we hold in our mind about whatever whoever it might be. And unfortunately, it is. I mean, it's a joke, and it's 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 I don't know. It's fallacious in its in its content because. It's a straw man argument, right? And we love it. We love the fact that, oh, see, look what you were going to do. You were trying to copy. I mean, I can imagine, like, some boomer thinking, I went to Woodstock, and it was actually great. And you went to Fire Festival, and you almost died. Right, yeah. Which, this is something that I'm really trying to, to trying to work on, because that's not a healthy way to view folks in different generations from yourself. I, right. I think I think that is a form of identity politics, which I think is toxic. Huh. Yeah. Um, I think it's a way of saying and us for you know, saying us first them. So I I tried to avoid it, but I, I get the same I get a similar feeling when I a lot of um documentaries have come out about the Bill Clinton scandal um lately because now I guess we can re examine his legacy now that the Clintons are no longer viable for office. And I get the same sort of pleasure watching these documentaries or the slate had a great podcast about the Clinton affair because you know the boomer kind of mantra has always been like well we we live through peace love and rock and roll and we broke down all these stereotypes and like the sexual revolution was awesome and we you know change things for the better and then they get their first boomer president and he ends up being the sexual deviant so like <laughs> I, I watch that and I get a lot of as somebody who has been subjected to some boomer rants, um, I get a lot of pleasure out of that. And, but I'm trying to, but then I think, and then I watch these documentaries and I listen to these podcasts, and I like there were actual real victims here, and like horrible things happened uh, to these people, and it hurt our country. And so I'm trying to get better about that. And so while the fire festival is satisfying to me because I do like get annoyed at sort of the quote unquote like personal branding culture of that's going on in our generation and I think that that's dumb and I don't like it I am also trying to realize that like not only did these 
young people who bought tickets to the festival really put themselves in danger and horrible things could have happened, but also like the victims on the island and the, the people who are still owed money. I'm trying to remember that and not gain so much pleasure from these documentaries. But Josh, let me tell you, it is hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i glad you you brought that up because it's, it's so easy to fall into the trap. Well, it, it's almost the, the, it's the constant battle of, you know, how do you interpret history, right? Because obviously when you have all the facts, when you're standing, you're standing away from the consequences and the influences, the FOMO of it all. Uh, it's so easy to, to think, oh, you should have done this. Like, why did you fall for that? You know, why, what's so hard in making the right decision, right? Be honest. <laughs> but it's, it, that is the test of character and it's the test. But it's also, I think we also do have to be uh, charitable in how we, um, especially approaching the individuals, like you said, like, whether it's the victims, maybe even some of these enablers of the, of the fire festival. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not always cut and dry. And I think, and I'm glad that's why we have the justice system. And I'm also glad that's, I'm glad that the justice department went after Billy. Yes. A hundred. So that we realize, okay, let's learn from our mistakes. Right. Many mistakes. For sure. Well, great. So that was uh, us talking about the fire festival and the documentaries. You guys, uh, if you haven't checked them out, you definitely should uh, check out on Netflix, fire, the greatest party that never happened. And on Hulu, Fire Fraud. I'm Robert Hassler. You can follow me at, at R.D. Hassler. And I'm Josh. You can follow me at WJosh underscore Lee. And thanks for joining us.